Again, free thinkers, and welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. Well, thank you once again for joining us, free thinkers, and happy 2024. Now, we did take last week off, and we're originally intending on taking this week off from the podcast as well, but we connected with today's guest, and well, <laughs> here we are. I only say that because Today's guest took a couple years of persistence and nagging to get him on the show because our guest is an extremely busy guy, and he actually retired from doing public speaking and interviews a couple years ago, but we got him, and I must say the wait was well worth it. Our guest this week is none other than Mr. Anarchapoco Jeff Berwick. Jeff has been an integral part of the freedom movement for over two decades now and has spearheaded multiple projects, conferences, and organizations, which we discussed during our conversation. I should probably also mention that I have a lot of respect for Jeff as he was one of the first big names in the liberty sphere to really acknowledge our work at the Free Thought Project and went out of his way to share it and help us grow. And Jeff even gave me my first big interview at his place in Acapulco years ago now. Now, Jeff has been quite a figurehead in the Liberty Movement, and love him or hate him, you can't argue with his success. Now, speaking of successes, we discussed his successes and wins during this podcast and mostly shied away from talking about current events because I really wanted to learn more about the man who is Jeff Berwick. So... Without further ado, here's our interview with the Dollar Vigilante himself, Jeff Berwick. What's up, Mr. Jeff Berwick? Happy New Year, amigo, and welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast. Uh, happy New Year to you as well, even though it's probably not the New Year, the whole Gregorian calendar, of course. They've just- <laughs> You know, life does about everything. All the months are off. All the days, the the you know, and it's all the usual stuff. But anyway, since everyone else says it, happy New Year, and uh, great Bro. to talk to you. It's been a long time since we've talked. It has, man. It indeed has. And uh, I can't really think of a better way to start 2024 than a conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jeff Berwick. So you know, I've been excited about this conversation and taking little notes here and there on things that I wanted to talk to you about since we booked this interview last month. And uh, when we set up this interview, you know, I wasn't quite convinced that I was actually communicating with the real, actual Jeff Berwick. (laughs) So I'm a bit relieved uh, to actually see you show up here in the lobby and before the the conversation started, uh, because you might be one of the most imitated men on social media. And, you know, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. And, you know, 
anyone who's listening, go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to Instagram. Instagram's the worst, by the way. And type in Jeff Berwick into the search bar and you will see hundreds of profiles. <laughs> I swear, it's insane. And, uh, you know, they're using your, your name, your likeness. And, you know, there's a reason for that. It, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty crazy uh, how much you've accomplished in your life. And knowing you for a while now, Jeff, it, it's hard for me to not look at you uh, kind of like the guy from the old Dos Equis commercials, you know, as like one of the most interesting men in the world. So uh, the, the list of you you've been involved with, the things that you've been involved with, it, you know, over the years is truly impressive. And so I was hoping, you know, during this conversation, instead of talking about, you know, some of the current events or recent news headlines, I was, was kind of hoping that we could talk about you a bit and maybe some of your accomplishments over the decades. And uh, perhaps, you know, I could ask you some questions that you don't usually get asked during uh, these interviews when you're discussing specific topics. So, you know, I, I guess we could start at the beginning with the millions that you made after, you know, selling your first website, uh, stockhouse.com, that you founded when you were 24. But honestly, I wanted to start this conversation kind of exemplifying uh, this persona that I think fits you as being one of the most interesting men in the world. Because I remember when I first got into all this world of libertarianism and anarchism, you know, I started hearing your name and I did a little research and I remember seeing this story on Wikipedia about you sailing all over the world in this 40 foot catamaran and somewhere around El Salvador, you hit this gnarly storm and uh, the boat was shipwrecked and you and your partner, I guess, who was also on the ship, you know, the, the boat ended up sinking, but you ended up surviving by clinging to a surfboard for hours and eventually were saved by pirates. I, I think that's the way the story went on, on Wikipedia. So, you know, of course, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but uh, that's one hell of a story and maybe a little too fantastical to not start the interview with. So, you know, how much of that story is true and uh, how much of it is embellished Internet folklore? Well, as you know, with anything to do with Wikipedia, there's like so much wrong information on there. Uh, it's all run by the CIA, of course. I actually started my own Wikipedia page, like, I don't know, when, as soon as it started, basically. I thought it'd just be cool, right? I thought it was like a phone book or something. And I've actually never gone back to it. Like, I see it every now and then, and I'm like, what are they, this? like, it, it talks about like a bunch of just pointless stuff and like wrong stuff. and. And uh, so I kind of regret starting the page, uh, but, but uh, it is true that I had a sailboat in 2005, I believe it was, and I was trying to sail around the world. Um, I bought a sailboat and uh, had no idea how to sail. And I left that day uh, trying to sail around the world. And it, I had so many crazy experiences on it. I basically learned how to sail as I went. Uh, I almost uh, crashed into an island my very first night because I, I didn't know you needed maps. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know some islands don't have lights on them. Uh, I was completely just uh, clueless about it all. And, and that was actually the reason I did it. It was af after I sold my internet company uh, in uh, around 2002, I decided uh, to get a sailboat and, and sail around the world so I could see the world with my own eyes and not through the lens of the fake stream media and all the propaganda and all that stuff. And uh, I ended up going to almost 100 countries. I, I sank my sailboat after only three countries. I, I only went down from 
I started in the US, I went up to Canada, which is the wrong way to go on the Pacific Ocean, by the way, like 30 foot waves nonstop for a, for a week and freezing cold. Uh, but I wanted to go there for summertime and I got there and then I went all the way down through the US. Uh, I was gonna just uh, sail through Mexico in like, I don't know, a week or two. I ended up spending over a year in, or about a, a, less, a little less than a year in Mexico um, because I loved it so much. Every place I stopped, I'd stay for like weeks, and actually, when I got to Acapulco, uh, I was totally like the only thing I knew about it was the prices right in the 1970s. And you want a trip to Acapulco? And I thought, oh, my, man, it must be like some tourist trap sort of a thing if it's on the television programming. And I hadn't I knew nothing about it. I didn't know what it looked like. And I sailed into Acapulco Bay and it was the most beautiful bay. One of the most beautiful bays I've ever seen. Uh, it looks like a, just a bowl of diamonds at night. And wake up in the morning and just blue and green and red and just paradise. And I ended up staying for about three months uh, at that time. And then I kept going and I went down through Guatemala. Uh, and then uh, I was trying to get to El Salvador and I did get, or sorry, I was trying to get, yeah, I was trying to get to El Salvador. And um, we got in quite late and they told us not to try to come in at night. It was shallow areas in the bay. And I ended up, did end up sinking the boat in the, the most craziest storm I've ever seen. Uh, the lightning was going off uh, like every, like five a second, uh, hitting my mast. <laughs> like it was just like surreal. It was like being in a washing machine with like lightning uh, for a couple hours. And then the, the boat finally got a hole in it from smashing against the bottom so many times. And uh, actually some sailors came out and saved us. They weren't pirates. Uh, they uh, <laughs> uh, were uh, just... As you, we actually tried calling the El Salvador Navy, which I couldn't believe worked. Uh, I couldn't believe like this back in 2005. I'm one of those like Breaking Bad flip phones, and uh, and my ex girlfriend at the time, she was she was Max girlfriend, but we we're kind of like just friends then. And she wanted to go on this beautiful sailing trip with me, <laughs> and it turned into a, just a total nightmare. And uh, she had a flip phone, and uh, she said, "Call call the uh, Navy," and I'm like. Your flip phone never works anywhere in the world. Uh, it always says uh, no, no service, emergency only. And she said, this is an emergency. And she said, call 911. I said, we're in El Salvador. They don't have 911 in El Salvador. So I dial it and someone answered. And they said, nueve uno uno, 911, how can I help you? I didn't speak Spanish, but they spoke enough English. I told the Navy guy where we were. And he said, I don't know what you want me to do about it. And I said, why? And he goes, we don't have any boats. <laughs> and that was it. And I threw the, the phone in the water because I was already up to my neck in water and we started kicking in on my surfboard and then a bunch of uh, private sailors, you know, the, the free market again came to the rescue. They'd heard our Mayday calls on the radio. And uh, that actually was probably the best I've ever felt in my life. Uh, that entire experience and afterwards, especially with the adrenaline and the, you know, just like being saved. And like, I, I wasn't scared that we weren't gonna be saved. We were only about a mile offshore. I could have just kicked in on the surfboard. Uh, but um, uh, once we got to the shore, uh, it, I felt like I was on ecstasy uh, for like a day. And, and then I decided actually after that, that. Uh, it felt so amazing because everything I had was on the boat. So I had nothing. All I had was my, my shorts, which had a zipper on them. And I had managed to put my passport, my credit cards in it before I left the boat. And that's all I owned on earth. And it was the most amazing feeling ever. So I said, I'm going to try not to own anything uh, for a number of years, for as long as I can. 
uh, and just traveled the world completely spontaneously. And that's what I did for a couple of years. And I went, like I said, to about 100 countries. I go to airports and uh, just ask what their next flight was. Many times I didn't know where I was even flying. I'd have to try to find out on the way. Uh, so many stories. I ended up making a, a movie with Jackie Chan in China and going to the premiere in Hong Kong. With him. <laughs> and it, it was just like, you know, crazy stuff. And actually, that's one thing about living like very spontaneously and going with the flow. Amazing things happen. So many people get so wrapped up with their uh, plans. And, you know, whenever I hear someone say, I I've got a vacation plan for like next year, it's like next year. First of all, we're in the apocalypse. Second, secondly, like the whole world is probably going to change dramatically in the next year. There's going to be collapses and crashes and cyber attacks and World War III. Like, how can you even plan for that? But I would just like go with the flow. So if someone said, hey, we're, we're going to the Philippines tomorrow, I'd be like, I'll go with you, you know, that sort of thing. And when you, tr when you do that, uh, live that way and you live your entire life that way, unbelievable things happen but most people limit themselves because many people i'm sure have had someone say hey i'm going to you know thailand uh, next month uh, and first thing that they're, they're always like their mind will do is is think of all the reasons why they can't do it oh well you know you know i've got to do this and you know i'm a little short on funds and all this kind of stuff and most people actually miss most of the things that life offers uh, because they're, they're not open to um, going with the flow and basically living completely spontaneously. Good points and, and fair enough. I, I, I think that's a very accurate assessment, to be honest. And um, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, a couple of years later or maybe several years later, you ended up doing more of that world traveling with uh, Luke Radowski. I remember seeing videos of you guys traveling all, all over the place. I could only imagine there's one hell of a learning curve, uh, just setting your foot on a, a sailboat and just going and trying to, to learn how that all works and how it all operates and everything. And uh, it very much literally, you know, sink or swim. So uh, I guess you you maybe did a little bit of both there. But, you know, it's it's interesting to hear that uh, you were given the instruction to not come in with your boat uh, at night, because that was one of the things that I read on the, the website that was connected to your Wikipedia about the whole incident with you, you know, sinking the boat and everything. And so I, I was like, that almost sounds like Jeff, like just going in without, uh, you know, without any authorization or uh, just going for it. But, um, you know, speaking of sailing the open seas and, you know, I just mentioned Luke there um, right now, you know, Epstein is on everybody's mind right now, you know, after this court order, court order was issued last month to unseal these Epstein court documents. But uh, you are one of the few people who have actually set foot on Epstein Island uh, when both you and Luke of We Are Change uh, found a way to get onto the island. I think it was back in like October of 2019. Now, if I remember correctly, uh, you weren't wearing any shoes and you were barefoot exploring the island, uh, which was, was pretty entertaining. But I remember being so impressed by that, you know, and uh, watching that video of you guys. I mean, it was it was very tense, you know, like. You snuck onto this little St. James Island, and uh, it was it was significant because you know at that time uh, you guys were one of the first alternative media uh, journalists to actually set foot on the island, and you guys documented some weird, bizarre artworks and statues. And uh, you know Epstein Island was actually sold last year, and it's likely going to be you know stripped and renovated. So it's it's certainly important. Uh, that you guys you documented all this and everything that you saw. Now, uh, you didn't find Bill Clinton while you were there, but you did find that iconic blue and white striped uh, temple 
which uh, you said in the video was just like a flat wall with a door painted on it. And you even said it looked like a Hollywood set. So I guess uh, my, my question is like, what was that experience like for you? And did you ever deal with any legal repercussions from you know trespassing on that island? Yeah, they, um, that was just another case of just totally going with the flow. So my friend Joby had a plane that he said he bought from, uh, it was Pablo Escobar's old plane. And uh, he said, let's try to go to as many islands in the Caribbean as we can. And uh, he asked uh, Luke and I if we wanted to come. And uh, uh, we said, yeah, sure. So we, we went, we went to about seven different islands and we were actually almost done. And we were about to head back when Luke was looking at the map and he said, we got to go to the British Virgin Islands. And I was like, why? And he's like, that's where Jeffrey Epstein's island is. And uh, right around then, we were like, started planning and started thinking about it. How could we do it? So we got there and we talked to, uh, we tried calling numerous places to rent a boat and tell them we wanted to go to Epstein's Island and we'd get hung up on or, you know, say no and all this sort of stuff. So we eventually found a guy who sounded okay. Uh, that, like he sounded like a cool guy. And uh, he, he said he couldn't take us to Epstein's Island. I said, well, let's just go with them and see if we can talk him into it along the way. So we took him to a, like, there's all these amazing floating, not floating, but little tiny islands that are just like 50 feet wide sort of thing with like a bar and a restaurant on it. We took them like all afternoon and we drank all afternoon at a, at a beach bar sort of a thing. And, you know, he's a sailor. He says, you know, the, you know, it's a very pirate culture around there and all that kind of stuff. So we got him pretty drunk. And then we said, well, can you just take us like around the island? And he said, sure. And uh, we come up to a dock and we're like getting really close. We're just taking video, trying to, you know, get some images of it. And uh, he pulled right up to it and he said, uh, if you're going to go, you got five seconds. <laughs> and, uh, and we were not expecting that at all, especially that quickly. And so Luke just immediately jumped out and uh, he's like, Jeff, come on. I'm like, I'm grabbing my camera and I go, I got to get my shoes. And he's like, we don't have time. <laughs> so I jump out without his shoes and we just start going, uh, you know, as far as we could around the island. And the, most of the island is covered in these jagged little rocks. It was the most, I wish like so much back then, if I just had shoes, I could have enjoyed it so much more, but I was basically just in pain the entire time. We went all over the place, uh, documented a lot of the stuff there. It was mostly cleared out. It, like they, the FBI had just raided it like a month before or something. So I actually thought there might be FBI slash CIA people there. Uh, so we were, you know, quite concerned for our safety. You know, we're obviously trespassing in a, in a crime scene and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, if they get you, as, as Julian Assange knows, like you, you just don't ever get our Ross Ulbricht. Like when those criminals, the, that evil organization gets its tentacles into you, you're basically done. So it was quite risky really. And my yeah. wife was there, she was on the boat. Uh, my friend had his newborn baby with him. Like it was totally unexpected that we're raiding Jeffrey Epstein's Island, but we did. And it, yeah, you pointed out the temple. That was probably the most interesting thing was that uh, most people thought it was like a real temple. Uh, but when we got there and looked at it, it was about the size of a, like a, a mechanical shed, uh, maybe 15 feet wide on each side. Uh, so not very big. It was mostly all concrete except for one door, which had been, uh, uh, boarded over. And then there, it looks like it has gates and stuff on it, but it was all just painted on it. It looked like, a, like I said, like a Hollywood set. So, uh, 
you know, a lot of people speculate that they did a lot of stuff, you know, underground and all that. But it's interesting that he would go to the trouble of creating this sort of a temple thing. But I do know that those sort of people, uh, which, you know, he's kind of like a works for the Nephilim slash Jews slash uh, these sort of people. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a long story, but it's an old culture. Not all Jews, by the way, but quite a few, uh, but and, and a lot of Nephilim, but not all. Uh, and Nephilim are old Atlanteans, actually. <laughs> this is a whole long story. But uh, they actually um, believe in a lot of the stuff. They believe in child sacrifice. They believe in uh, drinking baby's blood, the adrenochrome, all that kind of stuff. And this is all back from an old culture on Earth, which kind of went up and through the Khazarians and then, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that's who uh, Epstein basically worked for because he worked for Mossad, which is all, that's, that's all them. And uh, the, you can tell because they have the uh, six-pointed star of Moloch as their flag that no one ever seems to notice. But um, yeah, like I think, it, you know, I really don't know looking back on it what that was all about. But it, it could have been symbolic uh, because they're into symbology and symbolism and all that kind of stuff. And it did have a dome on it. Uh, and the dome is actually, as, we, as we're starting to learn, it's like an energy uh, a tr device uh, sort of a thing. And, and you can do things with energy with domes and stuff. So I had the dome. The temple looked kind of like fake, but, you know, they painted it the basically the uh, Atlantean sort of colors, which is also the Israel colors, the blue and the white, uh, which is all part of who these people are all connected to, which we're now finding out just like today, basically, that uh, so many Israelis are on the, the list that they uh, they uh, let out, um, but yeah, we never got into the main house. Uh, we actually they they spotted us before we got there. We were just about to go around that side, and uh, about a five hundred uh, pound uh, black woman on a golf cart. I didn't know it was a five hundred pound black woman at the time. I just knew there was golf carts coming after us, and I thought it was CIA, FBI guys. And I did not want to go to Guantanamo Bay, so I ran my butt off. Turned out it was just a like a security guard, five hundred pound black woman who could never catch us in a million years. Uh, but uh, anyway, we got off the island, and that was it. So yeah, it was an interesting experience to say the least. Uh, I think we're the only people to ever get kicked off of Epstein's island. I can say that much. <laughs> that's crazy it's it's ironic that the uh the temple looked like a hollywood set you know we have hollywood right now claiming that the documents that are coming out are um are fake right and they're gonna have fake names on it and stuff and even this morning i saw like clear disinformation someone it was being shared in libertarian circles too i was pretty disappointed it said there was a there was fake documents a fake article like clipping from lewrockwell.com or mises institute claiming that uh, James Maynard King Keynes went uh, to fucking Epstein Island, and this dude died in Keynes died in '46. Right? There's no possible way that he was on Epstein Island, but uh, people were sharing it around and like, oh, look how far, look how deep it goes. You know, it's it's ironic that that the temple did look like a Hollywood set because now I think that's what we're going to be seeing in the next couple of days as these or next couple of weeks as more and more of this information comes out, they're going to muddy the water so bad that we're not going to be able to tell uh, fact from fiction, you know, who, who was actually there, who was not there. And I mean, this is all deliberate and by design. I think it's even more by design than you're even talking about. I think they're letting people allow them to get this information uh, to kind of uh, has numerous objectives uh, to kind of let them know what kind of people these people are. They like to do that, but they're only letting them know about like this. 
you know, they had young girls at this island. They weren't like, no one talked about them killing babies, having sex with babies, which is what they do. So they're just letting out this very sort of minor thing. Like, I haven't even really, like, we should actually just mention this. I haven't heard the ages of a lot of these uh, girls, but uh, a lot of the pictures of ones that I've seen are like 16, 17 years old. It's like, well, who cares? Like, that's like not a big deal to me. Uh, now, if they're there because they were forced to be there and they're sex slaves, that's that's a big deal. But if it's just guys having sex with like 17 year old girls, I don't like it's not a big deal. But I think they're kind of just they, they're letting some of this stuff out. Uh, they, they like to do that. They like to laugh at people's faces. And so everyone's all focused on this, but they're doing way, way, way worse things uh, behind closed doors and other places and stuff like that. So I think this is almost like a distraction. And it's also because so many people are starting to catch on that there's so much cannibalism and pedophilia and Satanism in these higher levels of these groups. Uh, that they had to let some stuff out in order to sort of like make people think that, oh, look, like, no, the government's looking into it. They're going to get these guys. It's like, no, all the, the and whoever might come out of this and have like uh, a serious problem, which is, is actually quite doubtful because they run all the governments, all the, all the courts, everything. But they do take down some of their smaller people sometimes. So that's like Sam Bankman fraud of FDX. Uh, they, they let him go and, and put him in jail for a while or whatever, but they keep everything else quiet and, and no one ever looks into anything else. And I think they're kind of, they'll probably do that with this. They'll, they'll have a few gut fall guys. And, and then people say, look, you know, the government and Interpol and all these things, they're all out there trying to find these uh, sex predators. It's like, no, they're not. They're still running it all. Uh, but uh, it kind of makes people feel like there is like someone out there actually looking for these people and doing something. When in fact, the only people who can do that is, is, is you personally. Uh, you can, you're the only one who can do that. No one else can do that for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just keeping people into the slave matrix that, you know, just trust the government, you know, to trust the court system, you know, we're going it, to, it's all a big show in my opinion. Like I didn't even really look at most of the stuff that came out today because I know it's going to be the usual BS, uh, the usual stuff. I saw like Stephen Hawking, uh, like to go there, which is weird because it's actually not That's even really weird. I saw that too. like decades <laughs> ago. But uh, whoever the guy in the wheelchair was, that they they say he talked through a straw, which is basically impossible. But uh, they, <laughs> the people believe anything. Uh, they, so they said he was there, and he liked looking up midgets' skirts. Midgets. And then they're like, "Well, sometimes they say midgets means young girls." It's like, okay, like this is like unimportant, sort of like like it's not a big thing to me what what they're releasing anyway and not to mention we knew all of these names already because uh, people have already <clears throat> uncovered these flight logs so for all these years people have been saying like you know release the names it's like we know all the names <laughs> like people have already looked into this for the most part and yeah it's bill clinton it's bill gates and uh, all these sort of people alan dershowitz who's out there today because his name was one of the ones that got released today. And uh, I saw an interview with him and he was like, you know, well, you know, I went for dinner just like Bill Gates. And then he's like, but you know, Hamas raped Israelis on October. It's like all lies, all propaganda, all the time, all deflection, all psychopaths, all satanic. That's what these people are. And so I don't put too, too much stock into this release this week. There's nothing too new aside from Stephen Hawking and the, and the midgets. Uh, it was actually funny. It said Stephen Hawking likes looking up, up the 
underwear of midgets as they try to compute difficult math equations. <laughs> it's like, they're just having fun with us. They're just like laughing at us. At That's a point. troll. That's definitely a troll. Yeah. <laughs> I agree, man. So shifting gears a little bit, you said during your story about the sailboat, um, you mentioned a, a crazy storm that was like being in a washing machine <laughs> with fucking lightning, which is a great analogy. Uh, you guys just recently down there in Acapulco got hit by a, a serious storm that was like a, it's registered as a cat five. And um, I want to delve in a little bit about like how you, so you raised like over four hundred thousand dollars in cash and crypto um for the victims of uh, hurricane otis and it, in like record time which is fucking amazing and um i know when we get hit down uh i live in louisiana so we get hit by hurricanes quite often down here and it can take like months and years to get people back on their feet you know and ba even back into their homes like my wife's family got hit uh you know two years ago and they they're just now getting back into their homes so uh you know but luckily we have like a tight-knit community down here and like everybody comes together and like looks past their fucking political blinders and gets together and and helps you know helps each other and um you know that being said uh i've seen some of the progress that you guys um have been making down there i forgot the name of your website that it was on but it's like uh uh hurricane otis recovery.com i believe that's that's what right. it is um but yeah, so anyway, I was watching, I was looking at some of the pictures and it looks like that's the same kind of uh, situation down there where everybody's helping up everybody else out. And uh, so I just wanted to ask, like, you know, how's that recovery going in, in Acapulco? Is everything uh, going to remain on track for Anarchapoco next month? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, like miraculously, as you pointed out, uh, like I don't know if a Category 5 has ever hit a major city before. And uh, it hit dead on on Acapulco. A category five, the, the, some winds were over 250 miles an hour. Like this is insane level stuff. And of course the media didn't cover it at all because this was all just attacks on Mexico because they didn't go along with the Monsanto. They didn't go along with the COVID. They never had one law against it. They said it was all a big pharma scam. Uh, they uh, made chemtrails illegal which is just strange to me like like who's who's actually doing them that you're making them illegal for but uh so they've been doing all that stuff and um and they also joined BRICS. Uh, so the globalists slash Nephilim slash whatever you want to call them, a lot of them are Jewish but they're not really Jews <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff uh is uh uh behind all this kind of stuff so um I kind of lost my train of thought there. I was talking about the, uh, why did I bring up the, the Jews and the Nephilim and all that? <laughs> you went Kanye, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any, do you suspect there was harp like involved or I mean, it's oh, yes, like yes, yes. so yeah, there, um, yeah, that was the point I was trying to get to was that, um, uh, so they, the people who run basically a lot of the evil stuff in the world, the World Economic Forum and all them, uh, that run like everything, NATO, all the major governments, uh, CIA, FBI, Mossad, all that kind of stuff. So they uh, decided that since Mexico is like totally not going along with any of their things to attack Mexico. So there was three Pemex oil refineries in three different parts of Mexico that all blew up on the same day in February of, of last year. Uh, and then in October, three hurricanes hit, uh, two were cat four and one was a cat five and all three hit dead on, on the top most, uh, populated cities on the West coast of Mexico. Uh, the first hit Cabo, the second hit Puerto Vallarta and the third one was for, uh, Acapulco. And, um, 
So yeah, this was like uh, clearly a uh, attack uh, to, you know, for for what uh, the Mexican government hasn't been doing, which is not going along with all their stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, we got kind of caught up in the middle of it. <laughs> you know, typical governments, you know, causing all these problems and and. Uh, uh, you know, I think they kind of like when they're, when they're trying to decide where to hit, it didn't hurt at all that there's uh, quite a few uh, libertarian anarchist type people in Acapulco. So they're probably like, yeah, let's go uh, Cabo. That's a big tourist spot. Puerto Vallarta, another huge one. Let's do Acapulco where all those uh, anarchists are. And people like Max Egan, who's been talking about weather weapons for years, let's target it right at his house, which is what exactly happened. The first point of contact was Max Egan's house. And the second point of contact was the secret garden for an Acapulco. But uh, as you mentioned, I put out a, a number of videos and did all kinds of things, set up a website immediately, GoFundMe, Give, Send, Go, cryptocurrencies. Uh, and within a couple of days, we raised over $400,000, which is just incredible. And thank you to everyone who donated. And uh, we were going from day one and there was no one here. Uh, no one was coming in to help. The government didn't do anything at all. Uh, Red Cross came in, but uh, after us, and uh, there was a few others. Uh, Global Kitchen or something came in quite a while afterwards mm -hmm. and was helping with food and stuff like that. But for the first month, there was no water, no power, no uh, nothing. No food, no water, nothing. Uh, no gas, no nothing in Acapulco, no signal. Uh, so uh, that was really tough, but we had about... 30 to 50 people, a lot of them related to Narcopoco, all just like working on it, volunteering, all, all of my wife's family, all of our friends here in Acapulco. And because of the money that we raised, we were able to get out so much stuff to people who are in, in seriously desperate need. Uh, th there was no water and because of the hurricane, uh, didn't have any rain, you know, as Cat 5 hurricanes normally do. Uh, there was no, it was like completely sunny as soon as it dis dissipated and just completely disappeared afterwards, uh, which is, you know, fairly normal for hurricanes. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, there was no rain whatsoever and uh, everything was knocked out. So people didn't even have water and they couldn't even get access to water uh, unless they, you know, wanted to walk to the river, which for some people is like 20 miles away and all the roads were blocked and, you know, it's pretty crazy. So, we managed to get in with four by fours, chainsaws, machetes, and and get stuff out. And the whole first month was like that. It was just nothing but punctured tires and problems communicating because there was no signal anywhere in town. Uh, and uh, but uh, we eventually got out of that stage and into more just helping people rebuild their homes with the remaining funds. And uh, we actually pretty got pretty close to running out of funds just about a week or two ago. And uh, we we did denoted the final funds for some Christmas dinners in some of the poorer areas of uh, Acapulco, which we just did. And actually today, as we speak, most of my family's out handing out toys to, to kids with the remaining funds because this is the uh, Day of the Kings or something, which is actually uh, like the day that people give gifts to children, uh, not Christmas. Here in Mexico, it's on January uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th, I think. And so they're out doing that. But yeah, so... Yeah, it was pretty wild. It was crazy. Uh, most people's houses got destroyed in one way or another. Uh, my house had all the windows bl blasted out and some of the interiors damaged, but my house is completely repaired already. Uh, we helped rebuild a lot of people's houses. Uh, anyone who had a, like a decent house, like uh, like a real house, uh, it's almost all concrete here. Uh, that's the thing that saved almost everybody. Uh, if this had happened in the U.S., where a lot of people build a lot of their houses with like wood and like sheetrock and stuff like that, uh, there would have been like hundreds of thousands dead. But because every house that's a real house 
they, they put like concrete walls that are well more than a couple feet thick uh, everywhere in Mexico. It, and I think it's partly too, because there's a lot of earthquakes in this area. So um, a lot of people, like there, was, there wasn't that many deaths, unbelievably, uh, considering when you see the damage. Uh, but as long as you can get behind some concrete and there's concrete everywhere, uh, you did okay. And then there's the really poor people who live mostly with like cinder blocks and corrugated metal roofs and stuff. All their roofs are gone, obviously. Um, but a lot of the cinder blocks were still around. They just had to go collect them. Uh, and uh, we were helping trying to get roofs on a number of the uh, places for a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, we, we as of basically right now, this is our final. Uh, in the next two days, we'll be finished. Uh, this is basically the end. And so it was over two, it was about two and a half months of crazy, crazy, insane work. Uh, and part of it, too, was just seeing if we could end up uh, running an Arcapulco in February. And uh, it became pretty clear about a month ago that we could. The airport opened, the power was back on in most areas. And actually a lot of people have rebuilt very quickly here. And a lot of the nature is already uh, recovered. Um, it looked like black and brown uh, right after the hurricane. I thought every tree in Acapulco had died and I was really sad. My wife was too because of that. But it turned out that most of them weren't dead. They were just, you know, broken and they've been regrowing. Acapulco is super, super uh, abundant and it's, it's built on an aquifer. And a lot of the trees have already like started to regrow and it's all green and looks beautiful. So uh, long great. answer to that. But uh, the end of it is that, yeah, we're fully moving forward with an Acapulco coming up February 12th to 16th. And uh, it's going to be, I think, one of the most amazing Anarchapogos ever after everything that happened, which, by the way, I, I named the theme for this year, Reborn, before the hurricane hit, uh, for totally different reasons. But after all this, uh, Acapulco's reborn and Acapulco's reborn after the globalists tried to kill us all once again. And uh, all of us are fine. No, no one I know got hurt at all, which is unbelievable when you think that it was a uh, Category 5 that hit at 1 in the morning and no one knew was coming. So no one even closed their windows at night. Uh, and certainly they didn't board up their windows. And, uh, you know, some people I'm sure died. I, I, I heard there was some bodies and stuff. Uh, I'm sh it had, it, it must be in the hundreds because of how, like, you know, the sailors, I heard a number of sailors died uh, who were out on their boats because they didn't know this was coming either. Um, but it's almost miraculous how few people died. And I should point out too, that at the very end of October, and this happened on, I think, a Wednesday evening. So middle of the week, middle of uh, end of October, that is the quietest time in Acapulco of any day of the year is those last two weeks of October. I used to live in an apartment building. I'd laugh and be like, I'm the only person in the apartment building at the end of October because for whatever reason, I guess people go back to work and school and stuff after summer and then they don't come back until uh, Mexican Independence Day or New Year's and Christmas and stuff like that. But the end of October, this town is basically like a ghost town and very luckily and thankfully, uh, that's when uh, the globalists decided to do it. And uh, I think they left it as late as they, they could because really the hurricane season stops uh, around the end of November. So they were pretty much just getting these all in uh, before it became too obvious. Because of course, if they did the Cat 5 hurricane in February at Anarcapoco, uh, there's no, that's not hurricane season at all. There's not even supposed to be hurricanes. And then people would ask questions. So they, I think they tried to time it for the end of October. 
uh, and figured, oh, the, the three months beforehand, we're going to hit it with a Cat 5. A lot of them are probably going to be dead, and uh, there's no way they'll be able to have the event in February. And we're like, we're fine, bitches. <laughs> and uh, we're, we've rebuilt everything. The Secret Garden's looking great, and we're looking forward to another great event, which is our 10th year anniversary. Well, uh, you will eat the bugs, Jeff. And uh, <laughs> if, if this was indeed a direct energy weapon or weather, weather modification, uh, project or some sort. Uh, it's certainly ominous, you know, but stranger things have happened. And I don't think we could discount that or, uh, you know, not include that as part of the equation. Uh, it does seem like it was worse than Lahaina and Maui in many ways. And, you know, of course, as you mentioned, just no media coverage at all. You know, obviously Maui's US territory, but even still, I mean, it, it seems kind of odd and kind of strange. And obviously that, you know, as well, the three oil refineries, uh, being taken out in one day, that that doesn't sound right. You know, like what are the odds of that? But uh, we, you know, very much uh, commend your swift action and, and, you know, getting boots on the ground and really organizing that whole effort. I mean, it's a great embodiment of uh, voluntarism, you know, the principles of voluntarism. So very much uh, commend you for that. And, and, you know, that's amazing that you're able to do that. And it still sounds like still being able to provide uh, to the locals there and the, the people in the area. So that's a, a great thing. Now, we have uh, talked about Anarchopoco a bit. I'm sure that, you know, majority of the people who are going to listen to this interview understand and know what it is. But uh, maybe for the small percentage who don't know, back in 2015, you started a wildly successful conference in your hometown of Acapulco. I think it's arguable that it might be the most successful, the most influential anarcho-capitalist conference in the world to date. Um, I've been to it. I enjoyed it very much. And of course, you've been kind enough to invite me to the conference several times now. Um, in fact, yeah, as we were mentioning, you know, you're, you're preparing 2024 here, the, the Reborn Anarchopoco, uh, which is happening February 11th through 16th of this year, guys. So definitely check that out. And you're featuring speakers such as Max Egan, who you just mentioned. I know he's one of your friends there. Uh, Andrew Kaufman, David Ike, and of course, uh, some previous uh, guests that we've had on this show, uh, Alex Zek, Larkin Rose, uh, Charlie Robinson, who will be the MC. Um, seeing that this is the anniversary, I, I guess you said it was the 10th year anniversary, uh, which is you know a bit hard for me to wrap my head around here. Um, what are some highlights for you after a nearly you know a decade worth of these conferences? And was there like any years that really stood out to you as being like the most successful or the most powerful? Because uh, I know in COVID, you know, you had to pivot a bit and uh, the attendance dropped and uh, all that, but what can you tell us about Anarchopoco? And um, you know, maybe after this, we could get into the HBO series, the Anarchists, uh, which focused on the conference and some of the stories surrounding it. Yeah, well, I would say it's been a complete nightmare running this event uh, since the get-go <laughs> uh, for me personally. Um, but I do it. When I first started it, it was because like people like anarchists, anarcho-capitalists, voluntarists, we didn't really have our own event. And, you know, there was a few, though. There was there was things like the uh, Pork Fest in uh, New Hampshire and uh, Libertopia in San Diego. And then there's Freedom Fest in, in the in. Uh, usually in Las Vegas, but that's more like neocons and conservatives and minarchists. 
Uh, Libertopia was like a real anarchist uh, sort of a conference. Uh, and then there's the Porkfest, which is a lot of libertarians. It's not necessarily all anarchists. A lot of people are kind of involved in government-related things, trying to get into the government and stuff. And, you know, the whole free state project sort of a thing. So I was actually kind of complaining, actually, when I was uh, going to those events that it's, I was basically saying on Facebook, back when I was allowed on Facebook and, and not 10,000 guys from Nigeria who, <laughs> who are all allowed on using my name, but I'm not allowed on for some reason. Uh, you have to be on there to scam people and then you're fine. Uh, but I, I posted on there that um, uh, why do they have all these freedom conferences in the US? It's like one of the least free countries on earth. Like I live in Mexico. I'm, I'm not used to going up and being so unfree. Like you can't drive 10 miles an hour over the speed limit or you'll probably get killed or extorted or kidnapped. Uh, you uh, want to drink after one in the morning. Uh, it's not even possible. Um, all these kinds of things and all these rules and regulations and, and you know TSA and all this kind of stuff. And someone said, why don't you do an event in Mexico? Why not in Acapulco? And I just kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, like people are going to come to Acapulco for like an anarchist event. And, uh, but I'm like an entrepreneur type person. So I thought, you know what? Like, why don't we just try it and see what happens? So I actually put a contest up and I offered uh, half of a Bitcoin uh, to anyone who could name the event. And it was actually uh, the guy from We Are Change Colorado, Bruce, who's DJed and stuff at our right. events and emceed. Uh, he came up with the Anarchapoco. Uh, and I, I just thought, oh, that's hilarious. Okay, let's do it. Let's put up a website. Let's see what happens. And uh, he ended up losing the half of Bitcoin, by the way. He didn't even know what Bitcoin was back then. It's kind of unfortunate. That was $20,000 in today's dollars. Uh, right. But, um, and uh, so... I actually just put up a website and back then I was like really like drinking a lot and depressed and uh, uh, you know, just sort of not in a good space really. But, and I was losing money on all kinds of stuff. I was getting ripped off and defrauded on, on so many things like a Chilean real estate project and uh, uh, trying to get people passports in foreign countries and it all got just, you know, destroyed and def I got defrauded and you know, people call me a fraud and all this kind of stuff. And I was just drinking. And so I just put it up and I was drunk the whole conference. Um, I just, we had one speaker and one microphone and both barely worked. And I didn't really even have an MC. And uh, like people from the audience were like uh, volunteering to become the MC. Uh, and uh, basically, but a lot of people came though. Like it was about over a hundred people came, including people like I invited all kinds of people like Luke Radowski, Dan Dix, Ernest Hancock and Roger Veer and Julia Turiansky and all these kind of people. And um, a lot of them showed up and uh, I actually didn't think we'd do it again the next year. And I don't hardly remember anything of the event. I was so drunk, but uh uh, I decided just to keep doing it again the next year. And that's actually what I've been doing every year since. Every, like, I, I have, I'm not planning for one uh, in 2025, just so you know, because I never do. I'm always like, this will probably be the last one. <laughs> like, but somehow I just keep getting drawn back into it. And, you know, over time, it's kind of just become my charity for the Freedom, Voluntarist, Truth movement. Uh, I lose money. Like I lost 200 and something thousand dollars last year. Uh, which is not good timing with the cryptos down and everything, uh, throwing the event. 
Um, but, you know, it's one place that a lot of people can come once a year and be around like really amazing people and uh, around people they can like get along with and, and can have amazing conversations with. Because most of the time, most people, um, they're living in the matrix surrounded by mind controlled NPC robots that repeat what they see on the television programming and think they're crazy. Uh, so for, for like one week of the year, people can come to one place, which is a beautiful place in February on the beach in Mexico and have like a incredible time, you know, learn new things, get inspired, do ayahuasca, do DMT, do yoga, uh, free turtles, uh, sea turtles into the ocean, um, all kayak, whatever you want, you can do here. And, um, I think I just keep it going because everyone wants me to keep it going. Uh, but for me personally, it's just always a nightmare. And just look at the last five years as the best example. Mm -hmm. Right before the 2019 event, someone gets shot like two days before the event. And he was actually running a, a competing event because he wanted to compete because he said Anarchapoco is bullshit. This is like, right. it's like, we're just trying to survive here, just trying to like create this event. And, and so he starts another event called Anarchaforco. Because uh, he didn't like we moved it from one hotel to another hotel and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, he was doing some strange stuff up in a ghetto in Acapulco and he ended up getting shot, which can happen, especially if you're involved in, in the drugs sort of stuff, which he was in one way or another. And so everyone starts, you know, people canceling, uh, all these news articles, an anarchist conference, someone got shot at it. It's like, it was like, you know, 10 miles from the event he actually hated the event and uh you know but anyway that happened so that was fun and the, there's a whole hbo documentary that came out of that and then the, for the next basically almost four years i can't believe it if you think about it it's, yeah it's been four years now of the of the covid uh which uh in 2020 we threw the event right before they locked everything down and so we were pretty much the last event that i know of in the world that was like pretty big uh, that didn't have anything like uh, at all because no one had started doing the surgeon's mass yet or the six feet, the six, six, six feet uh, stuff and, you know, all the mind control that they put out there. And um, so we had that event. And actually at that event, we had a coronavirus recovery center because we already knew about the coronavirus and we already knew it was bullshit even before they shut everything down. Wow. So we had the, all these uh, uh, pretty uh, women uh, wearing surgeon's masks with uh, Corona beers for a Corona recovery center. <laughs> uh, while we have speakers talking about never take vaccines because it'll kill you and how they're planning on like forcing, injecting people with vaccines at that event, Del Bigtree and Sherry Tenpenny both talked about it. So we get through that, then we get through the COVIDs and uh, 2021, almost everyone in the world was locked down. People couldn't even get out of us. us Australia, uh, Canada, most of them were locked down. Dan Dix couldn't come. They wouldn't let him leave. Uh, and we, so we had a, we ended up having to take it out of a big hotel and put it into what turned out to be the most amazing thing. So it's one of those things, again, going with the flow. We were in this big corporate hotel called the Princess, and they had all these rules and regulations which didn't get along with us very well. Uh, and we were forced because no one would let us hold an event in 2021 because uh, they're all corporate, you know, things. And they're like, well, there's a there's a pandemic going on. It's like, yeah, we know, but we're still going to have the event. And they're like, uh, well, you can't unless you wear masks and sit six feet apart. So we actually found a place called the Secret Garden, the Jardin Secreto in Acapulco, which is a botanical garden that's totally hidden. It, it literally is secret and there was not anymore. But 
they uh, it turned out to be the most amazing place for our event. And it actually really changed everything about the event. It became way less sort of like, when it started, it was a lot more anarcho-capitalist. So it was more corporate and more like money and, you know, <coughs> business and stuff like that and it's really morphed into something more much more about you know self and connection and, and self-work and uh, freedom of your mind as well and your spirit as well as your body and and all that kind of stuff so uh yeah we went through like three or four years of the covid stuff and we we're in october this year we were laughing we we're like i can't believe it it's been five years since we've had a an event with no major crisis or problem going on that has been held to work around like i think we're one of the only events in the world that didn't stop at all during the entire covid uh, Burning Man shut down for like two years, you know, that whole freedom sort of thing. They shut down for two years, but we never did. And so in October this year, we were like, wow, I don't even know what it's like to have an event where there's no major crisis. And then a couple of days later, the globalists hit us, hit us with a Category 5 uh, weather weapon and destroyed most of Acapulco. And then we spent the last two months putting Acapulco back together, helping people recover and uh, and getting ready and doing the event again. They can't stop us. Well, it, it sounds like with uh, the multiple iterations that Anacapulco has gone through over the years that this reborn uh, moniker that you're using this year is, is a entirely appropriate so uh in, in multiple different ways so um and uh yeah i just want to spend a second before we get into the anarchists uh tv show i, I just wanted to co-sign on what you were saying I, I went in 2016 and it was an excellent experience i think that was one of the first ones but for me it really revitalized revived that momentum and motivation to to stay in this world to work hard uh, i networked with a lot of great people i saw a lot of great speakers i uh, met walter block and handful of other people who I was really uh, admiring and reading a lot of during that time. So um, definitely get out to it if you can, guys. And if you're certainly, you know, in that area, you have no excuse. Uh, obviously, you know, traveling to Mexico isn't always easy, but uh, I believe it, it was worth it. So uh, I'll certainly uh, co-sign on that for you, Jeff, and say, you know, guys, get out there. Uh, a lot of great people. Uh, the vibe, the vibe was the main thing. And I remember talking to you about this, like there was just this great energy that I felt uh, leaving that place and for months after. But, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we were just talking about the anarchist uh, HBO show. And I think it was uh, in 2022, two years ago now, uh, HBO released a six part documentary entitled The Anarchists that was based on six years of video shot by Todd Shremenke. I'm not really sure how to say his last name. I'm sure I'm butchering it, but um him and his partner more or less focused on the Anarchopoco conference and several people involved with the conference, um, people who attended the conference. And of course, a large part of part of the, the docu-series was centered uh, on you as the conference founder and leader. Um, I personally, I enjoyed it. Um, I, of course, had my own critiques. You know, I, I think it, it captured the, the conference um, pretty objectively. It was pretty fair for the most part, but uh, my own critiques, you know, like it, as well as some of the ANCAP voluntarists um, in, in our community, you know, I think the biggest gripe was that HBO had to present this story element to the equation, you know, just to kind of appease the HBO overlords and kind of fit this formula for TV viewers. So it tended to kind of dramatize and sensationalize certain aspects of that. And, um, you know, I, I felt like it did a, a good job of trying to juxtaposition that whole side of it uh especially you know the first episode the first episode felt like it went more deep into the philosophy 
of, uh, you know, anarchism and whatnot. But by the end of the series, it's felt more of like this, like, see, anarchists are crazy. They're living these dangerous lives and can't coexist type of vibe, you know, instead of kind of acknowledging uh, that that isn't really indicative to the philosophy of anarchism. And, you know, they're just kind of real world consequences to certain people living certain way, you know. So that part of it was a little disheartening for me. Um, and I suppose, you know, anybody hasn't seen it, as Jeff was just saying, um, two of the people that were loosely related to Anarchopoco were featured in the series. They were indicted, apparently, in Ohio for felony marijuana charges. And so they fleed to Acapulco for refuge. And while they were there and while they were, they were filming this documentary, one of the individuals uh, that went by the alias of John Galt was shot and killed. Uh, I, I don't want to you know, jump to conclusions, but I think it's presumed that it was by like cartel members. Um, and, and, you know, it was speculated that he also indulged in the drug trade, as you mentioned. Um, so, you know, that was more or less the story arc for the six part documentary, which I think a lot of anarchists objected to. And, you know, a lot of us anarchists, we, we just don't live that lifestyle nor have those types of experiences. But it was it was fascinating. You know, I would recommend that our audience check it out. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it, Jeff. Like, I, I thought you were great in it. I thought it, it did a good job of showing the human side of Jeff Berwick. So, like, how did you feel about the documentary? You know, was it fair? And do you believe that they represented you as a person and your, I guess, and your vision for the conference fairly? Uh, yeah, uh, it's got, it's, uh, I, for many years, I saw Todd and Kim, who are the two people who made it, out of Narcopoco, and they always had their camera stuff with them. And uh, I kept talking to them, like, what are you doing? They're like, we're not even sure yet. But uh, Todd, in particular, just was fascinated and like a real big fan of basically the anarcho-capitalist philosophy. Uh, and uh, they are filmmakers from Hollywood, basically, uh, like that from L.A. And uh, they were just they thought, well, there's so many interesting people here. Let's just start interviewing people and following them around and maybe we'll come up with a story. And uh, they, they ended up choosing as the main people they followed around was a guy, as you mentioned, named he called himself John Galt and his girlfriend, Lily, who now actually works for Narcopoco and is doing great and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they've also followed around because at the time the person running the event was Nathan Freeman and his wife, uh, Lisa, and their family. So they, they followed them around a lot. They were the main two sort of people they were following around, uh, you know, for whatever reason, that's, that's just what happened. Uh, and then uh, when John got shot, uh, that they uh, kind of realized they had all this footage that they could kind of put into a story. And then they even covered it as it's all happening. And, you know, then after that, Nathan ended up, uh, don't know for sure, but his, it looks like his liver failed and it looked like he was drinking a lot. Uh, and uh, he ended up dying. So their main characters that they had years of footage around uh, all end up dying. So they were like, there's got to be a story here. And then on top of that, as this was all happening, there was this guy who was crazy who came down. His name is Paul Propert. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, or like, I don't know who would stop me, but I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say his, his full name. But anyway, that's who it was. And uh, he's dead because he, yeah, so he, he was trying, he said he was going to kill everyone at the conference because he was just, he was the old US military guy who's just massively damaged, apparently. Said he was going to kill me and my family, going to kill everybody. And actually, they thought he might have been the one who killed John Galt. 
Uh, and uh, he ended up killing himself. So all, they were kind of covering all this, just filming it, and everyone's dead. And and they're like, well, I think we got a pretty good documentary here. Sure. And uh, so they put it together. And as they're putting it together, they got interest from HBO. And as you pointed out, like there's no way they could have just done like a six part documentary on how awesome anarcho capitalism is and stuff like that. It just that's just not how television works. That's not how the mainstream works. Um, at the very least, you need a lot of drama and you need you know a lot of crisis and you know all that kind of stuff. So they kind of put it together in such a way that it just told the story about everything that happened. Uh, for me personally. Uh, I was really happy with the first episode because that was the first time ever the mainstream people, people who watch television, the people who are under mind control, got like half an hour's worth of what anarcho-capitalism is. And although most of them are all just drinking their beer and they're all fluoridated and they probably didn't even notice or care or any of that. But for the first time, we actually got it out there and it was, it was put out in a really fine way. In my opinion, it was like nothing bad about the way they put it out. Uh, it got our ideas out there on freedom. So for me personally, that was kind of like, one thing I can feel good about it with is that, you know, with all the things I've been doing with Anarchapoco, Anarchast, Dollar Vigilante, uh, and now with that HBO documentary, I've been able to at least push the philosophy of freedom and anarcho-capitalism, voluntarism in so many different ways. And that was just another way for me. And then the rest of the whole documentary is mostly just drama about, you know, personal issues and problems and crisis. And, and that's, you know, totally understandable. But uh, yeah, I think it's a net positive uh, that that went out um, just because of that first episode. It, like, you know, a lot of people probably are, are just starting to wake up uh, with everything going on over the last few years. And they've probably heard about things like libertarianism and they probably just hear it's kind of weird or crazy because that's what they're told to think. And they've probably come across now the word anarcho-capitalism, especially with uh, Malay winning in Argentina who says he's an uh, narco-capitalist. Um, you know, these things are getting out there more and more. And actually the book, The Market for Liberty, which Doug Casey was very involved in getting out to the world, uh, got translated into Spanish by Jorge Truco, who's also sp spoken at Anarchopoco, who's from Argentina. And, and that's what Malay said he read that turned him into a narco-capitalist. So wow. you can see how things Doug Casey was doing 40 years ago. And then I have Jorge Truco on my show. And then he comes up with the idea to translate it into Spanish. And now the president of Argentina says he's a narco-capitalist, right? So in, in that way, I kind of hope that uh, that first episode of the HBO documentary documentary planted some seeds in some people that maybe we'll see, you know, in years down the road as they hear about narco-capitalism again, they look into it and then they find out it's actually an incredible idea and philosophy for how this world can be such a much better place with so much less violence and extortion and theft and slavery and be almost completely prosperous and peaceful, although not perfect, of course, because there's still going to be humans involved, but uh, so much better. And, and that's always been kind of my goal uh, since the beginning is to get those ideas out there so that they can happen. And uh, it's kind of funny now that, uh, you know, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. I actually don't care if those ideas get out there at all anymore. <laughs> um, I just don't. I, I've, I've actually come to the conclusion that the world is the world, whatever it is. Uh, you can't change a lot of these NPCs. They're all going to kill each other. So I'm just staying out of their way and doing all the self-work on myself. 
Uh, I spend hours a day, sometimes six to eight hours a day, self-work, a couple hours of meditation, lots of physical stuff, uh, hyperbaric chain, all kinds of stuff, uh, a lot of it while meditating. Uh, and that actually, uh, you know, when I talked about 2015 was just kind of like uh, something we tried. Most of the people who came there were mostly wearing black t-shirts and really like everyone was drinking a lot and everyone was really angry about government. Uh, and now in Arcapoco is more about doing the work on yourself. It's, uh, it's more like what uh, Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I've actually started to realize that if you want the world to be a better place, it totally 100% has to start with you. Uh, and when it does start with you and you actually do change and you, you rise uh, in so many levels, spiritually and, and, and energy and, and ability, um, you start to change everything around you. And, and you can get into like what is reality, but uh, you know, in many ways you create it all with your own mind. So I kind of started with the idea that we had to change the world and get this out there to the world. And now I've come all the way back to Whatever the world does, I don't even, I'm not connected to it at all. I have no stake in the outcome of what happens out there. Uh, but I know I can change myself and I have over the last few years. And because of that, I've changed my family dramatically. My wife every day is doing yoga while I'm meditating. Uh, it's branched out to our kids. And now we have a new baby, which is very related to that because all the work that we've all been doing, we're, we've reached a new level and then we've got more abundance because of it. Because of it. And uh, that's how I think is the way to change the world now. And that's really what Anarchapoco's turned into. So it's really changed a lot since the very beginning. And I think a lot for the better. And now it's held in a secret garden. You can do ayahuasca, DMT if you want, do yoga, meditation if you want, uh, <laughs> listen to amazing speakers, meet amazing people. And, uh, and like you said, uh, Jason, that a lot of, I hear that so much from people. They feel like they have a buzz for like months right. afterwards and then they actually almost get depressed knowing they have to be back in like the real world and not at, at a place like in Arcapulco. Sure. Uh, and that's what I hear from so many people is that. So I just keep it going because of that. It's, it's so hard. It's not fun to do this, especially as they attack us in so many different ways with the COVIDs and the, now with a hurricane and, uh, you know, people are always attacking us. People always want to like bring us down. Uh, it's not fun or easy, but every year when I finish up and I talk to everyone on stage, I ask if everyone wants to do it again next year and almost everyone puts up their hand with giant smiles. And I just can't say no to that or I haven't been able to yet. Otherwise, I would just stop and just, you know, do my own thing. But I can see so many people love it. And I have to admit, now that I've done a lot of work on myself, I actually do enjoy it now for the first time uh, because I'm a, I'm a very changed person now. I didn't used to like to be social at all. I didn't like, you know, all these sort of commitments and all these sort of things. But uh now it's actually really nice uh it's actually just an amazing beautiful week even for me but it's the whole time beforehand that's so hard that i every year i'm like i think this is the last one but we'll see what happens uh but yeah it's coming up in february and i just want to mention that you can't make it down because not everyone can make it down uh it's all going to be live streamed and you can also get all the videos of all the talks and i would highly recommend and highly suggest to everyone out there who can't make it, who really thinks these are some really amazing things that that's going on at Narcapoco and the people speaking and the ideas being brought forward to please get a, a, a ticket to the virtual. That helps us out so much so we don't lose so much money. It helps us keep the event going. 
Uh, and it, you can get inspired even in your own home if you can't make it down uh, from like an entire week's worth of talks. And there's even stuff beforehand, Dollar Vigilante Summit, even stuff afterwards, the Game Changers event, which is a two-day a major event on transform, transforming yourself that I'm doing with seven other people. You can get all those. You can have like nine, I guess total seven, five, six, seven, eight days. Yeah, eight days of stuff that I'll be doing. All eight days I'll be doing this here. Um, so yeah, if you can't join us in person, uh, please join us virtually and uh, support the project because basically what Anarchapulco is, is the exact polar opposite of Davos and the World Economic Forum. And they've got trillions of dollars. They all fly in on the private jets. They've all got their weather weapons. They try to actually blow up our event. And we're sitting over here losing money, just trying to like help people to get this information so we can use all the support we can get. And uh, thank you, uh, Jason, as well. Uh, I know all the stuff you've gone through with the Free Thought Project. And I'll oh, yeah. be putting yeah. my channel as well and i just want to let people know if you don't know about the free thought project you got to check it out it's awesome this podcast is on vigilante.tv in the audio podcast section and you've gone through so much over the years as well we could do a whole episode on what they've done to you uh basically you were grew a media organization that looked like it was going to become like the size of vice um, and they just destroyed it with their algorithms and they just, they basically ran you almost off the internet. And then they started up their version, which they called vice, which is hilarious. And then, you know, Soros puts in billions of dollars into it. Meanwhile, you guys are just like totally getting destroyed. And it's so funny. They call it vice too. Like you could have called it virtue. All lies, propaganda, hate. And they even came and covered in Arcafoco and, and, it was funny because they came during the COVID's year, COVID's years, which was funny. And uh, they come to the event and the only thing they really focused on, one woman had a, a spoon bending uh, uh, event at our event, uh, which you can do with your mind. You actually can manipulate reality and all that kind of stuff, but it's not what an Arcapulco is all about. But they said it's all about spoon bending and anti-vaxxers. And uh, it's just amazing that the, that's all they, they showed about the what event. They took away from and, it. And they're <laughs> proudly an anti-vaxxer, by the way. Sure. And uh, the only one person had a medical issue that year at the event, and it was the uh, vice, the director of Vice. He passed out because he had just gotten the uh, lethal injection, and he was out in the heat, and uh, he ended up at the hospital while he was making fun of us anti-vaxxers, which I absolutely love. The instant karma, I love it so much. <laughs> Well, uh, we are low on time here, so we're going to have to uh, cut this a little shorter than I wanted. Got to have so many more questions. You know, I, I wanted to talk about Anarchast at one point, uh, the migration crisis, controlled demolition, your book with Charlie Robinson. There's there's so much to talk about, Jeff, so we'll definitely have to do this again. Uh, but I do want to say thank you for the kind words. You know, Matt and myself have invested a lot of time and energy into the Free Thought Project over the past 10 years, uh, just at our 10-year anniversary um, a couple months ago, and uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been disheartening uh, the path that we've had to follow since they deplatformed us uh, five years ago now. And you know, we've tried everything in our power to continue to make this a successful operation and bring back our writers, bring back our team. But uh, it's it's been one it's been one thing after another, and it's been extremely difficult. And uh, I'm not sure we'll ever get back to the point. And that might have been the reason that, that they did this to us in the first place. I don't know if we'll ever get back to the, the stature the reach, uh, the size uh, and production that we once were. But um, nonetheless, uh, I did also want to say, you know, it is obvious that you've you've done the, the work uh, with yourself, I, I see the difference, I see the change. Um, 
we like this version of Jeff Berwick for sure. And, uh, you know, it's great that you're continually trying to evolve. And I also want to say thank you uh, on behalf of the Liberty Movement for continuing Anarchapoco. And it sounds like, yeah, if you're losing 200K, you know, each year, that's that's certainly not sustainable. But it sounds like there's a deeper mission involved here. So uh, appreciate that. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. Before we get out of here, I did want to ask you, you know, I know we've talked about several of your organizations and projects over the years on this podcast already, but um, we wanted to give you a moment to share any news, information about any projects, any upcoming events, or anything that you want to plug. So uh, feel free. Go ahead, my friend. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I think I've talked about it all. If you are into uh, uh, investments, finance type stuff, we have our newsletter, Dollar Vigilante. Just go to dollarvigilante.com slash subscribe. Uh, you can even subscribe to our free newsletter there. Uh, and w- I put out videos uh, numerous times per week. Walk with my dog, Lucy, uh, which you can see at vigilante.tv is probably the best spot. You can also get the Free Thought Project there, uh, as long with a ton of other amazing uh, videos and audio podcasts. Um, we call it the land of the band because almost everyone's banned from everywhere. Like I'm banned on YouTube and on Facebook, almost everywhere. Uh, And same with Jason and Free Thought Project and all that. But you can get it all at vigilante.tv. And there's an Arcapulco coming up in uh, about a a month and a half. So you got a month and a half if you want to come. It's... uh, Most people say it changes their lives. Uh, And... Uh, it's not a guarantee that it will, uh, but uh, that's what most people say. So if you can make it down, great. And if you can't uh, get the videos and uh, support us that way and also get just inspired because we've got some of the most amazing speakers coming there uh, with all kinds of things to give you new information you didn't know, to inspire you, uh, to uh, make you feel like you're not alone at least uh, with uh you know, crazy ideas, like you shouldn't inject yourself with poison, they're poisoning the skies, that's not good, uh, they're stealing from everybody. Uh, you know, these are crazy ideas we talk about in Narcopoco that a lot of people just, uh, you know, think we're crazy, but uh, we just keep going and, and that's all you can do too, Jason, just keep going and uh, we, we're definitely not defeated. Like we're, they've, they've hurt us in so many ways, obviously. Sure. Uh, your reach and your potential revenues and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they're not defeating us at all. That, that, that's why they're doing it because they are losing 
And they have to do all this stuff just to try to keep a lid on it because they're so close to all their stuff being exposed to people stopping uh, using, like giving authority to governments, to uh, giving in to extortion, like taxes and stuff like that, and uh, creating a free world. We're, we're actually quite close to it. And in many ways, we're probably headed towards that, but it might come after a massive, massive amount of depopulation in the form of continued uh, lethal injections, vaccines, uh, World War III, cyber attacks. Uh, but if you can get live through all that, I think we'll be on to an amazing world. Uh, but you have to get through it. And that's what a lot of the stuff on Anarchapoca is all about, is how to do all these things. What's happening? What, why? Uh, what you can do about it? And, and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, if you can live through the next few years and get through it, I think we're, we're going to be ahead to incredible times. But it's going to be a very, very, very different world. Nothing will be the same after that. And that's actually a good thing. Because if you look back at how the world was for the last 100 years, it's basically hell on earth in so many ways. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very good thing all these things are going, but a lot of people are going to get hurt in the process, especially if you stay in the matrix and stay clinging to within the system, which we've been lucky enough, we've been forced out of the system, even though we didn't even want to be necessarily because we wanted to get more reach and stuff like that. But we've already been kicked out. So we're in, you'll find out that's actually a very lucky thing. Uh, but uh, for people who are still stuck in the system and the matrix, uh, you don't have much time to get out. So I would suggest you do you start looking into these things. At the very least, watch my videos with uh, Lucy, uh, and we'll give you some uh, fun, entertaining videos, but also let you know what you need to do to uh, get through what's going to be coming, or you're probably going to end up in the 15-minute uh, smart city concentration camps, <laughs> eating Z-Bugs and getting your weekly injection. And, uh, you know, if you want to do that, great, because they've got all the VR headsets there for you and the drugs. Uh, but if you want to live your best, uh, most peaceful, most prosperous, most loving, most connected version of yourself, uh, you've got to actually do the work. And that's what we talk about at Anarchapoca. So uh, I'll leave it there. Excellent. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, go ahead. Dude, so I wanted to, before we go here, I wanted to um, interject. Um, we always try to end the show on like a white pill, a positive note, you know, when we ask the guest, uh, you know, something how we can make the world a better place. And you like were clairvoyant in that shit man i <laughs> i copied the question that i that i was going to ask you and you completely answered it before i asked you it was all about making yourself better you know i was going to mention how like the only person you try to be better than is your former self and uh you know like you guys even mentioned it in the uh, anarchapoco uh, trailer right where you don't pray for peace and love because that is making an acknowledge an acknowledgement that you don't have peace and love instead you try to embody those 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 virtues and and be peace and love as a you know to to serve as a beacon and, and promote those chains around you and i literally said the same quote from gandhi in the question that i was going to ask you you know about be the change that you want to see in the world and uh that's a pretty cool podcast that we just had here man and i just wanted to point that out i was uh that was my question to you and and somehow you figured it out and and said it said the answer to it before so yeah, I think our telepathy skills are starting to come back. We, we can do that stuff. And I think as we get these changes and these uh, frequency and vibration shifts happen, uh, we were able to do telepathy and even travel, uh, space travel and all that kind of stuff before the Atlanteans used to do it. Uh, I think we're starting to get it back. So I start to see that more and more. It's like, how do you just read my mind? It's like, yeah, maybe I did, but I didn't even know I did. But uh, that's how it works. Hell yeah, man. Well, Jeff. 
it uh, <clears throat> it did take a little while to get this interview with you, but I think it was very much worth it. I know you were on retirement there from public speaking and interviews for a little while. So thank you for that. And uh, I keep seeing pictures of uh, you holding a, a baby. And I think you mentioned you you just have a you just had a, a kid. So uh, congrats on that. That's huge, my friend. And um, <clears throat> in all seriousness, man, you've been a pioneer not only for the philosophy of anarcho-capitalism, but for breaking away from the welfare warfare machine. Uh, stopping, you know, using the, the fiat Federal Reserve notes and using crypto instead. So we very much appreciate that work that you've been doing, being a pioneer in this field. And uh, you've been a personal inspiration of mine and the work that we've been doing over here for years. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, man, we very much appreciate your time with us today. Hopefully we can do it again. So thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Peace, love, anarchy.